This is Unconventional Knowledge, the podcast that takes a look at the information hidden below the surface. Each episode, we ask an expert to give us an insider's perspective on a current event. Today, European policy expert Dr. Michael Lee looks at the different ways the EU could accept new members. How will the Union change if Ukraine, Moldova and the Balkan countries join? Hello. I'm going to talk today about the meaning of the EU's decision to offer future membership to Ukraine, which is at war with Russia, and Moldova, its neighbor, as well as Bosnia-Herzegovina in the Balkans. The EU took this decision to deliver a clear message to Russian President Putin that it does not accept that these countries are in some sense in a sphere of Russian influence. They should be allowed to exercise their own freedom of choice, which they have clearly indicated means that they see a future inside the European Union, even if it's many years away. It was also meant as a signal to Ukraine at war with Russia of European solidarity and support. But this bold decision raised questions for certain governments about whether the EU with, in the future, up to 36 member states, would still be governable? Would there not be so many disputes and differences of interest that such a large organization would become almost impossible to manage? For that reason, some governments, particularly the German government and the French government, have proposed that to prepare for future enlargement, the EU should change its rules as to how it takes decisions. In particular, the German Chancellor and the French President would like to see a move away from the current rule that all member countries must agree to important decisions about foreign policy, about imposing sanctions, or about budgetary matters. And instead of that, they propose that such decisions be taken by majority vote. And they would like to see a kind of new constitutional convention in which the different countries get together to agree to changes to the EU's basic treaties, which work like its constitution, to make this and other changes to improve decision-making before enlargement possible. But other countries don't agree with this approach. There are at least 12 member states who are opposed to changing the EU's treaties. They say that this is hardly a priority in wartime, and the public would not understand if the EU got bogged down in procedural debates when the real priority 
is tackling inflation, keeping down energy and food prices, and providing support to Ukraine. They point out that even with the existing treaty and the requirement for majority voting, which is now the rule in most EU areas of policy, the EU has managed to come up with new policies to deal with crises. For example, agreeing on common procuring of vaccines during the COVID emergency, a recovery fund to help countries get over the epidemic by borrowing money on international markets, and now by taking decisions about energy supply and moving closer to something like an energy union in which connections between the electricity grids, the gas and oil pipelines between member states will be strengthened. They say, if all this can be done with the existing treaty, why should we get into complicated new negotiations? They also point out that for the very first time, the EU has agreed to pay for lethal weapons which are being transferred to Ukraine to help it resist aggression from Russia. And if the EU can do all these things with the existing treaty, why should we get involved in these kind of complicated negotiations? Smaller EU countries also consider that the veto right, their right to say yes or no to all important decisions, protects them from domination by large member states. And they cling to the veto for this reason. So obviously, there's nothing like a consensus at this stage for changing the treaty to make majority voting the general rule and to eliminate the veto. At the same time, this means that there's unlikely to be any rapid progress towards actually admitting the new countries. We must remember that Ukraine is at war and that Moldova and Georgia are partially occupied by Russian troops. As to Bosnia-Herzegovina in the Balkans, which has also been made a candidate, it has very serious problems between the different ethnic communities within its borders and has not really found a smooth way to govern. So for all these reasons, a further enlargement of the EU is scarcely on the agenda in the next few years. Realising this, but also realising that having promised eventual membership, the EU must do something to reach out to Ukraine and Moldova to make its offer credible. French President Macron has proposed a new arrangement in Europe that he's calling a European political community and that would embrace most European countries. A first summit meeting of this grouping took place in Prague in early October. But the countries that have been offered membership are not completely convinced by this and they're afraid that the European political community 
might turn out to be an alternative to membership, which to them is really important. To make this new political community credible, it needs to have some kind of structure, a secretariat, some kind of organization to implement decisions. But in particular, it needs to offer concrete benefits to the countries concerned. There's been a start on this. For example, Ukraine and Moldova are now disconnected from the Russian electricity grid and they are connected now to the grid of the European Union. There needs to be more progress in areas like this, energy, transport, infrastructure, for Ukraine and Moldova to feel that the EU's offer is sincere and that the European countries are really ready to reach out to them and to include them in future policies. Where does this leave us? It means in future it's unlikely that the EU will agree to a deepening of its institutions in preparation for an enlargement which is really beyond the immediate horizon. Some form of pan-European cooperation is more likely provided it offers tangible benefits in areas such as energy and transport. It's also important that the countries participating show that they intend to evolve in the direction of more democracy and respect for human rights if there's to be progress in this setting. So the EU in the future may not look like a series of concentric circles with Brussels in the middle. It may look more like a series of separate contiguous circles touching at the edges in which groups of countries, whether members or not, get together to cooperate in specific areas. In any event, this is an interesting new initiative and we will keep our eye on it as we move forward. I hope this explanation from Dr. Lee helped you to understand how the EU could evolve in the future. If you would like to know more about this topic, please check out our website at gisreportsonline.com or follow us on social media. Music